0: This is the World of Work podcast with James
1: and Jane. Hi everyone, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do, as well as our team development programs. You'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now let's get on to the episode.
0: Hello, this is James.
1: And this is Jane.
0: And here we are again for another episode of the World of Work podcast. Uh, Jane, what are we speaking about today and who are we speaking with?
1: Well, today uh, you are talking to your locker and you've been talking all about ambiguity and certainty. And I'm going to join you for a little bit of the intro and some reflections.
0: Yeah, brilliant. This is a subject and and a topic that I think is super interesting. I think this, this idea of, being certain, you know, being a hundred percent of a view that we are right about something or, or fully in understanding about something, is a is a really powerful thing to be aware of when we have certainty. And at the same time, I think ambiguity, this sense that our our path or our direction or the things that we believe in may not be absolutely true. That there's room for error, room for not feeling that that what we expect to happen will happen and and the ability to sort of hold on to that sense of ambiguity and navigate in a world where there are no certainties is a really powerful thing. And I think it's something that we see quite often in the workplace. Have you you got experience of ambiguity and certainty?
1: So I I should explain. um, Sometimes uh, one of us talks to the guest and then gets a chance to listen back. And I guess what I would say is um, I think this topic is really interesting for a number of reasons but I have been thinking about it differently since I listened to your conversation that our listeners are going to listen to. And I guess it made me go back to a definition right on the internet. Uh, cause God love the answers that Google has for us. Um, and I went back, cause I was Googling ambiguity cause I wanted to get really clear in my head and I really like this explanation. It's the quality of being open to more than one interpretation. Right. And I was thinking about that because um, I was linking in with one of the conversations that uh, I've heard quite a lot about sort of politicians and leaders in organizations. And this idea that when you are certain and when you present certainness and when you offer certainness to an organization, then you give people confidence in your confidence in the way forward. Right. if That makes sense. And I think that is incredibly comforting. And so I think we're having a real debate at the moment in workplaces about how do we balance openness to new ideas, different interpretations, innovation, different ways of doing things versus the comfort of certainty, cultural fit, um, having a confidence in our direction and being able to confidently say, yeah, we're going the right way. And also, and I know this is your favorite conversation, James, what that does for shareholders and the importance of giving shareholders confidence in our direction, right? So. Um, I know that sounds like a really deep dive at the beginning, but I wanted to just set that as a um, kind of scene setter for our listeners. When I was listening to it, I really felt my ideas going off in lots of different ways, but all of it came back to this friction that I think we experience in the world between wanting someone else to give us certainty, but knowing that um, the, that when we are ambiguous, when we are able to be open to more than one interpretation, we are much better able to actually progress in a meaningful way. That's That's my hypothesis anyway. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I, I love um, that openness to new ideas. And, and at the, the nub of a lot of what I think you're saying, we get back to this sort of tension that exists between certainty and ambiguity. And and there really are advantages to both, right? There are advantages to being certain as an individual, to being certain as a leader, and there are advantages to being ambiguous as well. And I think it's, it's trying to look at and explore those and, and try and, to some extent, find out the strengths and the challenges of of both of these things and and maybe looking a little bit at navigating how we can manage both certainty and ambiguity in our working lives in our careers and to some extent in our personal lives as well
1: well and i think i think it's really interesting thinking about the choices we make at work and the our, our preferences about risk as well right and i feel like um we see A lot of our discourse at the moment certainly in the uk at political but also an organizational level at being that we pretend there isn't more than one interpretation and i see this a lot in work right i see this a lot and you mentioned it to me about critical thinking the other day when there isn't an actively praised opportunity to offer up a different view or a different interpretation in your workplace right you are effectively pretending the only way to understand something is the way you've described it. So a leader stands up in front of their organization and say, hey, we're gonna go on this really great project, it's gonna change everything, and I'm gonna tell you that the reason we're doing this is because I am absolutely certain that if we do, if we digitize this piece of work, we are going to be more efficient, right? If that is unchallenged, what we're effectively saying as a group is we are certain that is right, in my view. And if we don't leave space for someone to say, hypothetically, if I was a critical friend to this project, I'm going to argue that the other interpretation of what you said is that this is about having less headcount because it's a more expensive input or this might not work and improve things because it might open up other needs for improved tools that we don't have or we might not have the skills to do this well and maybe that it, it having that impact is dependent on us being able to do this well and these are all different interpretations right of the way it could happen but if we don't if we don't entertain that space and leave that space to talk about those things, we might as well say, well, we're all certain the leader's right. And I'm not, I see that all the time at the moment in organizations. And I guess that's why I got really interested when I was listening to you guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating subject and I think it it pertains to so many aspects of our, our life and our, and our workplaces as well. So why don't we jump into the conversation? Uh, Lyra, could you introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit about yourself and your background and some of the work that you're doing and maybe even why you're interested in, in some of this topic as well?
2: Sure. So the the excitement is definitely mutual. I, I loved already the, the build up to this. My name is Leo Locher. I live in the south of the UK by the seaside, which you can't really tell from my accent, but that's my little stealth move. In uh, in terms of my work, I'm a coach and consultant, so I work with individuals that are looking to make change, and I'm working with startups, small businesses, social businesses, and so on. The unifying factor is it's all people who want to make positive change, who aren't just in it for themselves, and I support them in their endeavors. So quite familiar with change, quite familiar with... What's certain? What's ambiguous? How to navigate the crazy ups and downs in life? I also had a few of those myself, with a few changes of countries, changes of careers, and all sorts of other things. So that should hopefully all be interesting for the topic.
0: Yeah, and that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And and you know, I, I, I've I read a bit of your background on your website and things like that. And and I love speaking to people who've had a varied background and worked in different areas and then seen. A breadth of experience. I, 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 for me, I think there's something wonderful about that sort of, um, you know, the sort of confluence of, of different work experiences coming together, because I think it helps with our ability to to think and to shape things in a different way. So, so I love a bit of that that variety. Um, today we're going to speak about certainty and ambiguity, and I set up all kinds of little puns in my head about I don't know how it's going to go. I'm certain this is going to be great. Whatever, right? Um, I couldn't really help myself with that. But I want to start at, at the very beginning. Of this and talk about those two words. I'd like to to explore a little bit certainty and ambiguity, and and just ask you, what does certainty mean to you, and and what does ambiguity mean to you? What are these two, for the minute, you know, disjointed things that we're we're talking about as separate separate objects?
2: Ambiguity was almost easier for me to define, so I'll I'll start with that. So. Ambiguity means, I mean, if you pick apart the word, it essentially means like both thing, both things at the same time. And you can kind of imagine this swaying movement between two options. The way it's used, it's probably more than two. Uh, I'm not quite, I can't off the top of my head figure out the Latin to <laughs> make that into a fancy word. But I think it's probably the, the multiplicity, the fact that you, don't really know which of all those things are going to happen and that sometimes more than one thing can be true or can look like a good option and you you can't really pin it down even though you might want to. So it's this mix of options when it's positive and possibly overwhelm and the wish for things to be a little bit clearer when it's when it's not like that and I think a lot of the world is is ambiguous or is hard to pin down uncertainty on the other end is I mean first of all I think it doesn't really exist which, uh, <laughs> which is probably which we which, which might get maybe into. it only exists in a moment but right maybe it's in a confined if
0: instant if nothing
2: it's, it's kind of the idea that that you can predict something that I think x, y, z is true, and then it's going to play out the way you expect it. It's kind of the the confirmation of expectations. Um, it also means for me, you kind of extrapolate from the past so you think you know every time somebody has done x, it turned out this way and therefore i'm certain that if i do x it'll turn out that way and there are probably a lot yeah. of things in nature that are like that i mean you know gravity seems seems pretty constant and since i've <laughs> since i'm past 40 it seems even more <laughs> constant so um you know like there's kind of laws of nature and stuff that are probably roughly you know like water boils at a certain temperature with a certain atmospheric pressure if you um Stick your hand in when it's boiling, you'll you'll scald yourself, and so on. You know, like a, a few things are definitely certain, but I think a lot of the ways we act is probably a whole lot lot less certain. I think a lot of stuff around strategic forecasting and so on is really we kind of sell it as sort of near certain, but I think a lot of the things we do in that space are probably more speculative fiction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love that description of strategy and speculative fiction. I, I mean, we could have a different conversation about what we're really getting out of some of those strategic conversations. What types of things do you think people, uh, you know, hold as certainties in, in their careers? What types of things do they have more ambiguity about? How, how does that sort of that that plethora of things that we can we can have these um, perceptions of span in in our in our lives and in our work?
2: Mm that is a really interesting question so i think it depends a bit on people's life experience i think if p- if somebody's life experience was you know they did a degree with a reasonably marketable subject you know something that kind of Probably points towards a career. They managed to get a job. They managed to not get themselves fired in the probation period. They're doing reasonably well. They get promoted once or twice and so on and so on. So they're kind of objectively doing all the right things. Or, you know, like all the stuff your mom would be proud of, basically. (laughs) I don't know your mom, but, you know.
0: Yeah, you're climbing Um, that ladder. You're ticking all those boxes. You're doing
2: all those things. And then people kind of expect that it'll keep going that way. And I think I probably did too. Until, um, you know, then th- then there's things happening like economic <laughs> crisis and so on, which kind of put, throw a spanner into the works a little bit. And then I think it probably depends how people recover, if they will brush that off as a one-off thing, or if sort of that confidence gets shattered and they kind of don't take the whole game as serious anymore. Um, I mean, I had like four redundancies <laughs> since I started working, you know. That's good, um, right? That's good, and yeah. And a few yeah. economic <laughs> crisis, and some of them uh, pro- uh, provoked career changes just because what I was doing before kind of didn't quite make it through the same way. And and I think in in my own life, I've mostly kind of done the right things. Has it objectively worked out? I would say probably partially. Um. Only so if you ask, like if you ask my mom, she still thinks I'm a failure because I haven't like the metrics she had in mind. I haven't hit, and that uh, like we had that conversation, and it was a, it was a painful one. I think. I think it's interesting. I think people assume. It's almost like people extrapolate from the outside to your inside, so they think that, you know, if you've changed jobs a few times or if you've changed careers or if, I don't know, you got made redundant or, you know, maybe even you got fired or something like that, people assume that that says something about kind of how you're furnished out internally. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like, you know, like if somebody has multiple jobs in a fairly short time, it surely must be the fault of that person. But if an organization tries to fill a role, and they have lots and lots of people kind of cycling through. It's somehow never the fault of the organization. I can't quite be right.
0: Yeah, it's still the fault of those people, yeah, isn't it, so right? Yeah, people
2: want, so people want certainty, and obviously, you know, it's it's also a risk for an organization to bring someone new in. Um, People want certainty and therefore, or as much as they can, and therefore they kind of try and make all sorts of assumptions by looking backwards with the things the person actually shares in a CV or on their LinkedIn profile, which, I mean, let's be honest, is a heavily curated slice of reality. So, So, yeah, I think... I think there is probably mileage to be had, the more you can keep the illusion of certainty and predictability in your in the way you present outside. People will find that comforting and you'll get more options and you'll be a great cultural fit and people assume you're kind of of the same, you know, educated, middle class-ish, whatever you know people are looking for. Um, and that feels good, that feels familiar, that feels comfortable and therefore they automatically assume you'll be crushing it at work, which might be the case or it might not be the case. And then occasionally people want a bit more innovation and then <laughs> they kind of, um, try and remove some of the shackles a little bit or try and institute like a committee or a program to tickle more innovation out of people. But like in the right size, that's not too scary. Do I sound cynical? Um, (laughs) So um, so I don't know. I think think organizations who want change or who, who want to fluff things up or who want to, I mean, I can probably get away with mentioning the word unprecedented once. I promise I won't do it again. But it's almost (laughs) like there was certainty and then all of a sudden, like in the past 18 months, something happened. And now everything is like the word I shall not mention again, which is then the same level of excuse And then it's almost like, okay, then nobody needs to do anything because we've established that, you know, none of the rules apply and therefore we're just kind of scrambling and not even trying rather than deliberately going in and say, okay, this is new, things are ambiguous, we don't really know what's happening. A few things are probably still working the same way we expect because, I mean, you know, humans haven't completely fundamentally changed and the world probably hasn't changed as much as we think it did. So some of the stuff still works and I think we could have made this a great collective exercise with stabilising some of the basics, some of which has worked, some of which hasn't and different countries have found different solutions for that. I'm not sure the UK is always ne- was always necessarily top of the pile but that's a different <laughs> rant. Um, and we could have made that a collective exercise to learn how to deal with ambiguity and how to figure stuff out together when some of the p- old parameters have gone away. And we could have used that as an exercise to make things better, to collect, uh, you know, the kind of the co-creation aspect, rather than everyone just standing there shaking in their boots, because the old playbook has kind of gotten a bit wet and soggy and doesn't work anymore. Um, we could have kind of stepped forward and connected more, and I don't think we did, and I think that's a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like it, it's so hard to have that sort of collective mindset and that intentionality of of stepping in and and embracing uh, ambiguity like this. Some of the, the things that you've been saying have got me to think about a phrase that that's sort of in my mind, which is all to do with kind of the the rules of a game and you know the fact that a lot of the things that we do in our workplace are shaped by this understanding of a game and for me you know there there are the you know there, there are the sort of finite games of the rules that we have in the workplace and then there are bigger games that exist that, that sort of absorb around you know what the purpose of life is and, and i think sometimes when i think about some of the aspects of certainty that i'm that i'm interested in uh, this sort of analogy of the rules of a game and and i also often think about scaffolding right so for me i i the the sort of metaphor of scaffolding is helpful and i think when we're in the workplace many of us have had scaffolding built for us through the course of our lives you know your mother talked about a a route plan or whatever it was you know that, that word you used but the scaffolding built around our existences of what the rules of a game are, and what winning looks like, and what success looks like, and what failure looks like, and all those things. So, so it feels like we, we have a scaffolding built around the and, and framing what we're trying to create as outcomes and existences in the workplace. And, and that scaffolding gets built up by society, by relations, by TV, whatever it happens to be. And, and, and that scaffolding shapes what we think is right for us. Now, we, we live inside that scaffolding quite often. And, and when we're in there, We have that sort of certainty of what a good role is or what a good career is or what a good outcome is even. And I think for me, there's something really difficult about that certainty in itself. I think when we have that certainty, as you said at the beginning, you know, presenting that, I can't remember what the word you said, but like. Um, sort of semblance or character or presentation of certainty. When we're in there, if we believe this and have this certainty, it's a really powerful thing to present to people. People like it. People want to see it in us as leaders. They want to see it in us as employees. They want to to feel that we're dependable and and structured in all of this. And when we're in there, being certain like that has great sort of interpersonal payoffs and benefits. But I don't think that, that having that certainty necessarily leads to the best outcomes. And at the same time, I think... Is if we stop being certain, and if we sort of take down and tear down that scaffolding of what the rules are, you know, if we, if we say this is a finite game, I want to step outside of this game, I want to look outside of this scaffolding and think about what we're really doing, what are the rules, what are outcomes, and if you want to embrace that ambiguity, I think you can lead to significantly better outcomes for an organization or an individual or society, um, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yes, I I like the idea of a scaffolding, and in my mind it's very I'm actually looking at a scaffolding outside the window because there's construction (laughs) going on in the street, and I'm almost imagining it as, as prison bars, you know, like if you stack it too tightly, it's completely, it doesn't just hold things up, it also holds things in or holds other things out, and I think where we're getting ourselves into a tangle Rather unnecessarily, is if we see that as absolute. So we see kind of two binary options. It's either things are certain or they are ambiguous. And mentally, it's kind of like an on off switch. You know, it's like you either get certainty in its entirety or as soon as, you know, something stops being less certain, the whole thing collapses. And And that's probably not helpful because that leads. I think that causes a lot of stress because then people get really worried if one thing gets a little less certain, that they are all of a sudden going to lose everything, you know, like their entire construct of life that came with that certainty. You know, like nobody's going to come the next morning and and take your house if you're lucky to have one, if something else gets a little less certain. Um, you know, like it's not. And I think people get into that spiral where it's like they have one one world that's built on certainty. And it's almost like they're going to be afraid. They're going to lose all of that if one tiny little thing starts wobbling.
1: Okay, we're just going to pause the conversation there. And I wanted to take this opportunity to ask James a little bit more about this com- this idea of scaffolding because I was listening to the podcast just like all of you, and it suddenly occurred to me that it would be really interesting to ask James where he started thinking about this idea of scaffolding and and what sort of role it's played in his life. So we're going to do just that. James, I've interrupted your conversation with Lior to ask you, where does the idea of scaffolding come from from you and what relevance does it have in your life?
0: Yeah, that's a fun question. Thank you for asking it. Um, The the actual phrase scaffolding is something that, that I kind of associate with, but it comes from the fact that, both of my parents were social anthropologists or social anthropologists um, and i guess that means i've grown up with people who are constantly studying other people so you know they, they would do fieldwork in different parts of the world looking at how different cultures and societies behaved and what they were like and When they do that, there's there's a real sort of adoption of this, I guess, meta view that that, that you take where you say, well, all these people are living their lives, they're in their lives, they're behaving, they're doing things, but but what are some of the, the factors that shape that and what are some of the rules around it and what are some of the ways that that comes to be and and to get that understanding you need to step out of living in that world and to some extent be able to see it from the outside because when you're living within this thing that I think of as a scaffolding when you're living within it you can't really see it it's just it's just the shape in which your work life your personal life whatever it is is grown into being it's shaped within this it's sort of built over time within the scaffolding but you don't really see this scaffolding so I think this idea of being able to step out and see those sort of structural pillars that define who you are and what you do and how you behave is a really, really powerful thing. And as I said earlier, I think a lot of people aren't aware that there are rules to the way that we do things within the wider world, um, and that they're not really aware that there are these rules to the way that we do things within the workplace itself. And I think when we get into some of these rules and the scaffolding that exists in the workplace, if we're not aware of them, it can lead to us feeling sort of hemmed in or out of shape without really knowing why, or we can feel really comfortable and supported because we know what to do in this shape, but but we don't really know where those rules are coming from. Does that give you a bit of insight into why I'm interested in this?
1: Yeah, I think it does. And I think, I think the thing I keep, I'm always really interested in this topic because, and one of the reasons I was listening so closely to your conversation, and we'll get back to it in a couple of minutes, was this idea that when I was younger, quite often I would be surprised by the expectations that society would have of me, right? So I was brought up in a household um, that said certain ways of behaving and things that you wanted to do were normal. And then I went outside of that and they weren't. So for example, I was a girl, I was in a family of three boys and it was absolutely normal for me to play a lot of sport, right? And to get dirty in the garden and you know, be up trees and all of that. And It was only when I went to school and I got labelled a tomboy for that that I was like, "Oh, is that is that not is is that not what I was expecting?" And so, in some ways, that I, I would argue that some of the scaffolding that exists in my life has been very defined by my family, my immediate family, so my mum, my dad, and my three brothers, um, more than the society I was in. But then I look around and, and see how long it took me, for example, to start my own business or go back to university because I was worried about not keeping up so I was was I going to be 40 and earning what I wanted to be earning and be able to have the pension I wanted to or be able to have the house I wanted to um and 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 not have that certainty of income which still plays plays on me every day but there are these these if you when you're talking about scaffolding it really it brought home to me there are different sources of what I have drawn from my growing up and my adulthood to tell me what is okay and comfortable for me not to be structured around, right? So I have had to force myself to be comfortable around talking about a job that's not really a job because it's not on the list of jobs that you know people have got in their mind. And that that was a piece of scaffolding I managed to remove myself from, right? But I have found it much harder, for example, to remove myself from the scaffolding that exists that structures how I think about being financially independent and financially secure. And and what the expectations of someone who went to my school in my family were. And I think I think it your conversation made me really start thinking, what are the pieces of scaffolding in my life that are maybe preventing me from being comfortable occupying a place of ambiguity about what's a good life or what's good work or what's a career that I want or what do I want to be doing with my days or how busy I should be or whether I should have purpose in my life. So... Um, Yeah, I just, it was really interesting. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. So thank you for sharing where it comes from.
0: Yeah, a pleasure. And and I think that, you know, some of the things that you speak about there, about removing bits of scaffolding, I, I think that there's something really powerful in that. And I think that each piece of scaffolding that we have, when we do not have awareness that we have it, the certainty that can come with that can be really beneficial to us in some ways. You know, it, when when we really have something and, and we're clear on our rules and expectations, that certainty can be a great thing because it takes away any need to think or challenge or reflect because we just have that thing that's there that we know is true. And that's a really powerful thing. At the same time, being able to to see beyond and to recognize that that's a bit of a construction can be helpful because it opens up other opportunities as, as well. As you'd spoken about there, about stepping out of some of that initial scaffolding that you had about what a good career was and things like that and and on the career thing i just want to say you know i've i've stepped out of a corporate career what three years ago four years ago and it's difficult and i still to some extent define and analyze my success based on the shape of the scaffolding that exists in that prior world and that's, a, you know, that's just a difficult thing. So trying to live in that space where I'm, I'm trying to live outside of that scaffolding that was erected for me throughout my life is an uncomfortable thing. And I think that's part of, part of stepping into this ambiguity and recognizing that there, there can be more things, you know, there, there are potentially different ways to do things. And there's huge richness for me personally in that from a career perspective, but there is certainly a cost to it as well.
1: Yeah, and I think I just add one last thing because it's really, you've just struck me. So when you think about, and this is why I think I love the metaphor of scaffolding so much, right, in in lives. I think largely as you're growing up, scaffolding's been built for you, right? By your parents, your family, your school, your the the town you live in, the, the society you live in, right? And as you grow up or build your house, if you will, you are able to take away, but you should be able to take away bits of the scaffolding such that you've shaped your own expectations, structures that you're gonna judge yourself by and what's gonna matter to you, right? And I think, you know, there is, if you think about like, I don't know, I'm thinking of the weirdest building I've ever seen, which is probably Sagrada Familia, right? So uh, one of Gaudi's buildings, which, you know, looks at first glance like a building and then you look at it again, you're like, whoa, it's got all these crazy things on it and it's crazily designed and i feel like there's scaffolding and then for some of us we as we take that scaffolding around we find that our house is not a two three bedroomed garage underneath red brick in fact it's like you know built out of moss or it's um built out of coke bottles or whatever and i think we should be able to rebuild our house as much as we want and i i think the scaffolding serves a purpose like you say and i think it's the same with, exa- the reason i'm using this metaphor and going with it is because i think there's something valuable for organizations I think when you grow as an organization, you start out, you need that scaffolding. What's everyone else in our sector doing? How do we norm ourselves? What do, play, what do employees expect of us that we would expect elsewhere? Employment law, all of that. All of that scaffolding, right? But as you grow and develop your own organization and your culture and your norms, you should be able to take off that scaffolding and be who you are such that it services your people, your shareholders, and most important, and not most importantly, but equally importantly, your customers, right? And I I just, I wonder how many of us have been scared to take down the scaffolding.
0: It's a scary thing to do. It's, it, it, it all starts though with knowing that there is scaffolding. And I think that's the first step is that acknowledgement that there are these scaffolds that shape the space in which we live and work.
1: And on that note, let's get back to the conversation, listen to you and Law picking up how this might turn up in a practical workplace.
2: So I've had a few in my own life, I've had a few things where I got massively (laughs) knocked off the scaffolding or, you know, like where a lot of certainties stopped or stopped applying at the same time. And that has, has at that time shaken me quite a bit. And I think that also made me suspicious of, you know, is, are things really as stable as we think they are? I think if people have built a life for themselves and they're happy with and that's working, there can be a fair bit of scaffolding in there, to to stick with that metaphor. And people are happy and it's going well and, you know, long may it continue. The only thing is, if it doesn't, people don't have a lot of practice to pick themselves back up again. So they might have other, yeah, you know, they might have lots of savings, which helps to, you know, to buffer a, a multitude of of misery. Um, just because, you know, like if your life is stable, you can kind of build that up over time, and then you have something if something goes wrong. Uh, so that, that that objectively helps to recover. And if you have a good social network, and I don't know, good relationship with your parents, or you know, like all these things that helps. If you don't than anything that rattles you makes you know you you crash you crash through a lot further down if if you don't have that at the same time if people had more if people had a few setbacks and have recovered and have developed strategies for how do i handle myself and how do i pick myself back up when stuff goes wrong
0: can we do as individuals or you know, in, in the workplace to be more comfortable embodying these spaces of ambiguity? How can we sort of embrace these shifting sounds and and, and um, live well and, would, and decide well within them?
2: I would start with being more honest. So, you know, if something, if we're making a plan Be clear what we know, what we don't know, what's an assumption and which bits are hope and speculative fiction. Be more gentle with each other in the ups and downs. So, you know, let's not pretend we're robots who bring 100% of an estimated workload at every minute. You know, like sometimes it's 130 and sometimes it's 30 and sometimes stuff happened and it'll be a bit lower and sometimes it'll just be really awesome and not see that as a bug but as a feature. Um, Also be a bit more open when recruiting, selecting, promoting people. There is an equity, inclusion and diversity angle to it, of course, and it also helps everyone. I think there is something about Accepting and acknowledging that everybody starts somewhere different in life, and not for everyone things have necessarily worked out in a straight, unbroken line, you know no matter you know y- and you know you can kind of massage c v s you know reasonably well to look like it was you know like looking backwards like it you know it was kind of all intentional and so on. And occasionally things happen that make that really difficult and then maybe not not assume the person, it's like a character flaw or not assume that person wouldn't be a good fit because maybe they've learned something really interesting and maybe everyone everyone should have the chance to come back and try again. 'Cause if we're only going with the perfect ones, first of all are the ones that manage to look things reason you know, to make things look reasonably perfect. That is a rapidly diminishing pool because the longer you live at some point you know something is probably going to happen that'll knock you sideways a little bit. And you lose out on all the amazing skills and experience and depth that people gather when they manage to pick themselves and other people up. And I think we can just be really helpful and compassionate with each other in those phases and learn from people who are really good at piecing themselves and their lives back together. And
1: so there you have it. Uh, that was James's conversation with Lior. And I just, I've just i got still got James here from our earlier conversation when I, we were listening to it together and uh James I just wanted to ask you so Lior shared there some of her reflections on what organized individuals can organizations and individuals can do um to develop their thinking around certainty and ambiguity what are your own thoughts on what people can do
0: yeah i mean it's it's a big question um and some of it is you know personal reflection self awareness all that type of stuff at an individual level can help with this but i think from an organizational perspective or even a team perspective i think there's a lot that we can do to start to look at the fact that there are, can be multiple right solutions to an objective. So if we can start to to see that you know this is an objective and this might be the expected route to it, if we can give space to having multiple different routes through the path from here to there and to talk about those, I think that's a really helpful thing. I think you can do that a little bit when you do things like um, give people space to bring a critical voice to existing Um, plans to get from A to B. I think you can do that by starting to bring in things like different experiments into what you're doing um, and and take a perhaps an experimental approach, you know, create a hypothesis around what you're going to do and and look to to test that hypothesis over a couple of weeks in your team. I think that starts to open up this sort of multiple ways of doing things idea, which I think is important. Um, And a couple of other things I think can be really helpful here. One, is I think you can do little things like positive appreciation exercises where, where you maybe get people in, in your team to think about where else they've seen an objective, a task, something else like that delivered well, and, and talk about all the goodness that other people have done through their approaches. I think that gives an insight into different ways of doing things and frames it in, in a positive, which I think opens up and reinforces some of the benefits of looking at different ways to do things. And then, you know, the, the last thing that popped up into my mind when when you asked this uh, a minute ago was, I think a range of experiences just really helps us with this sort of ambiguity. I think if we can do things like give individuals in our team or even ourselves opportunities for secondment into other teams that do similar similar types of work within our organization or more broadly, or if we start to look at and work with people with a varied work experience who've worked in different places, um, in, in different uh, organizations or industries with different ways of doing similar things, then we start to bring in this plethora of, of, um, plethora of options, I guess, if you will. And, and the more that we can see that there are these different ways to move towards the, you know, an outcome, the easier I believe it becomes for us to hold on to this ambiguity of, of of the fact that there can be multiple competing, equally valid ways to do what it is that we want to do. And of course, within this space, I, I, I've got a lot of um, belief in the power of diversity and difference and, and the, the bringing together of different life experiences uh, into these types of conversations. It's something that that is a side conversation that we'll not go into here but i think there's some real benefit to bringing sort of generalist type um, multifaceted career type individuals who themselves have worked in a lot of different places into organizations because i find that when individuals have worked in a very sort of vertical line within their careers they they tend to lose space for some of that ambiguity that i think is helpful so those are some of the things that that are in my mind. What about you, Jen?
1: So I think there's some really practical things that I see organizations doing when they're good at this stuff, right? So the first is I see bosses when they are when they when their team comes to them and say, "Hey, I've got this problem and this is my solution," they say, "Tell me the other two solutions you've got and dismissed." Right? So straight away there's a conversation about there isn't a binary choice between one and another. There's more than two ways of doing things. And it's a best fit. Um, And I think that's a really rough and ready way to consistently push your team to think about um, the the multiple positions that you can hold and the multiple ways that you can approach something. I think um, practicing in meetings, the art of inviting criticism as a leader is really important and encouraging your... Whoever's in a team and an organization to um, identify at least comparable solutions often, I think is important. And then I think the other thing is, I think, you know, it's really power. You can't always do it, right? There are some very high investment decisions that mean that you you really do have to make a final choice. But wherever you can, move away from the idea that the choice is the thing that makes you successful And instead, the way in which you implement that choice is what's been successful because it takes the pressure off the choice and it takes the pressure off the idea that you were right or wrong to make that choice. And instead, it looks at the quality way in which you implement that choice. And I think uh, I think that's massively important because I see people review projects. It's one of the reasons I think lessons learned out of projects are so important and to be done properly. Because I see people come out of projects and they get they get reductively blamed on a choice that was made early doors, and sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's like you made the choice, and rather than thinking about it, you decided it was the wrong choice early on, and then you abandoned the project halfway through, rather than thinking about how do I make this the right choice. And I think for individuals, I want to I want to share this with them. I quite often, I, I quite often get asked. How do I know if I'm picking the right job? I'm applying for new jobs. I've got a couple. How do I make the right choice? And I I, I say consistently, if you have done the research beforehand and you're only applying for jobs that fit you, you will make the choice you make work. So make the choice and then make it work and make it work to suit you. And I think if we celebrated that more rather than, oh, wow, I made a really clever choice. You know, I think it's a really powerful thing. I spoke to and I'll leave you with this. I was talking to a, a very, very smart 11-year-old the other day who is choosing his school. And he said to me, it feels like a big choice. And I said to him, do you, why is it a big choice? And he said, because I want to go to both of them. And I was like, okay, well, that's a pretty good place to be because it means there's no wrong choice. And he looked at me and went, it's only as good as I make it, right? And I was like, well, you know, if you, make, if you follow that philosophy for the next 20, it's probably going to do okay. And that's not to reduce the fact that, sometimes there are choices that won't be quite as good for you or that might you know might turn sad because an organisation that changes but the more that we 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 try and own and 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 embrace our influence on how successful something is and the less we worry about the decision that we arbitrarily made about uh, against a bunch of information that may not may or may not have been full i think the better chance we've got of being satis- uh, satisfied with the choices we have made
0: yeah that's lovely i love that um i love that story and the fact that we can you know shape our choices once we've made them as well i think that's a really good way to to wrap that up
1: so that's goodbye from
0: me and it's goodbye from me thank you
1: hi it's jane i just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode if you enjoyed it if you have a question or if you just want to say hi you can find us on twitter at world of work underscore io don't forget you can also find out more about what we do including our online seminars workshops and development programs on www.worldofwork.io